You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Outdoor Edge Knives. These guys have a full lineup of knives, tools, and game processing kits. Now, I don't know about you, but in the world of the outdoorsman, a knife is very important, especially after you've harvested your animal and you got to get the guts out or you got to get the meat off of it and get it back to the truck so it doesn't spoil. So you want a sharp knife. And sometimes knives get dull. So instead of having to stop, sharpen the knife. Outdoor Edge offers a replaceable blade system where you simply pop the old blade out, put the new blade in, and get back to work so you can get the meat out and get back to your truck. If you want to find out more information about the full lineup of knives, tools, and game processing kits, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Hopefully everybody is having a great summer so far. Hopefully you're able to get outside, maybe do some fishing, maybe do some scouting, maybe throw those trail cameras up. Maybe the deer that you've been chasing for four years has returned. Maybe you got another stud on camera. Maybe uh, a buck that you passed last year blew up this year. So I'm hoping all these things happen to you guys. I'm sending good vibes your way. Hopefully you're receiving them. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm starting to slowly get jacked for this upcoming season. I know that in a couple weeks I'll be heading down to the main farm to do my first trail camera pull. Check out what's going on on the farm. Uh, see if there are any deer that I can uh, identify and uh, man there's a couple deer from last year that I really hope show up and uh, stick around during the actual season but it's been hot in Iowa like balls balls sticking to your leg type of hot in Iowa and uh, I apologize to those who are listening to this uh, uh, with their kids and haven't had the opportunity to talk about how hot ball stick to your leg hot is and I I think that's a good time to hit pause and just talk to your young sons about that type of heat it's more of the humidity as we all know but uh what are we going to do what are we going to do we got to educate our children and educate the younger generation just like my son his name is Knox he's my youngest and he is the I don't give a f type son he does whatever he wants he's two he uh he almost acts like he is a frat boy 
uh, at times. He just like walks into a kitchen, helps himself to whatever, eats off of uh, 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 my other two kids' plates when he's when his plate is empty. You know, he takes his pants off in the middle of a group of people, like just doesn't care, does what he wants. And in a way, I respect that. But uh, the other day, I go inside for 30 seconds and he is literally buck naked in our little kitty swimming pool in the front yard with the neighbor girls. So I guess I'm going to have to have the birds and bees talk a little bit earlier than I planned. (laughs) I don't know why I'm going off into the deep end on this episode. I'm just going to do a hard pivot right now into the topic of today's episode and it's kind of a hunter profile podcast but it's also a podcast about life and how sometimes life can really throw you a curveball and it, it 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 really sucks sometimes i mean i think we've all been there and we have all experienced low points within our life and i am uh I am a proponent that the outdoors can heal you and it can make you better and it can make you um, look at the world in a different way. And on today's podcast, we're going to be talking with a gentleman from Indiana. His name is Andy McLaughlin. And Andy talks about how he got into hunting with his dad and how this his dad was a big influence on, on why he uh, started hunting. His dad took him everywhere that he went. Uh, took him to deer camp. Took it, you know, put him on the bucket on a chunk of timber, and that's how they did their hunting, right? Just this, these awesome memories with dad. Well, in 2018, his dad got sick, and the sickness was pretty bad, and he has not yet recovered, and he has, and it's doubtful that he's ever going to be able to to hunt with his dad again. So. We talk about that. We talk about some other negative effects that have happened in his life, but we've all, we also kind of look at the silver lining and talk about how he now appreciates time with his, his children that much more, how he may have taken time for granted. And, uh, I'm telling you right now, I say this in the podcast, but I really want everybody to listen to the words that I'm about to say. Life is not about possessions. It is not about money. It is not about things. It is about experiences and who you share those experiences with. And and once you accept that and once you can learn that these, these impressions that you leave on people or other people leave on you is, is what life is. That is life right that is these interactions between people and the more positive interactions you have with people the better your life is going to be and um man i uh i i I don't really know what to say from this point other than it's a pretty good pretty good conversation and uh you know it's uh just just keeps it reminds me as well to slow down take a deep breath and if you're feeling down, man, go hang with your kids. Kids, my kids brighten my day every day, whether they're doing something stupid and I laugh at it, or they're doing something like just telling me they love me. And uh, yeah, so that's what uh, this episode is about. I could just uh, rattle off here for another hour about this stuff, but we're going to get into the episode here. The 
commercial we're going to do today is the average conservationist and and marcus ewing not only owns the company the average conservationist but he also is the host of the average conservationist podcast and that is the official podcast of two percent for conservation if you haven't listened to it i strongly suggest you do because that podcast is about average joes like me and you who have dedicated their life or parts of their life to conservation and there's some really good con- uh, uh, conversation there and uh, not only that but Marcus and his company the average conservationist make some kick-ass apparel and they have hats t-shirts and hooded sweatshirts but beyond that they have kick-ass logos right it's their logo t it's a lifestyle brand but on top of that and this is the reason why I'm working with him is he he dedicates 10% of his profits to conservation. So right off the top, before it goes into his pocket, he chops 10% off and he donates it to conservation funds or organizations. So that is, he is walking the walk. He's not only talking the talk, but he's walking the walk. And there's a lot of companies out there that don't do that. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% f- uh, for conservation certified business. Uh, Marcus is in the process of doing that. And uh, I strongly suggest you guys head over to theaverageconservationist.com. Check out his apparel line. And if you're going to purchase a kick-ass t-shirt, it might as well be with these guys. Because when you buy a t-shirt or a hat or a hoodie, from him 10% of it is going to a conservation organization so there's that long intro today I apologize I just started running my mouth and sometimes it doesn't shut off let's get into today's we'll call it a hunter profile podcast with Andy McLaughlin in three two one all right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Andy McLaughlin. Andy, how you doing, man? I'm good, Dan. How are you? I can't complain. I'm I'm uh, I'm getting a little bit more excited and a little bit more excited every day. I'm just kind of increasing. I'm stair stepping into my excitement for this upcoming season. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling like I'm behind the eight ball on this year so far, but. Yeah, I'm getting pumped. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, you sent me a very interesting story uh, through email, and we're going to talk about this: is this relationship uh, that you ha- that you have with your dad, and how you and him are, you know, kind of uh, best hunting buddies, and and some negative things that have happened in the last couple of years of your life, and we're going to chit chat all about that, but. Uh, before we get into the story, where do you live and what do you do for a living? Um, I live in East Central Indiana, pretty much right along the Ohio border. And oh. um, I work on race car engines. Race car engines? Yeah. Okay. So, so like uh, late model GM stuff. Okay. So are you on like a pit crew or something? No, no, engine builder. Engine builder. Okay, so they get back from the race, you fix it up, or you have a new one already built for their next race? Right, so guys will pull the motor out, bring it in. Um, We've got a whole team of guys that work on it. Somebody tears it down, 
you know, somebody does the machine work, which I was a machinist for a long time and recently moved up into the engine builder position. So, Okay. Where uh, do you work for a specific like a specific race car company that owns several cars or is it just one racer that you work for? It's actually a shop that works on several different cars for other customers. Okay. So you're not just dealing with one race team or one racer. They come no, to you no. with a whole bunch of different engines. Lots of different customers for lots of different kinds of race cars. Okay, and is it all late model, or do you guys do, I mean, you guys do dirt? You, do you do pavement at all? Well, um, so what I do now is all late model, like drag race stuff and some street race stuff. Okay. But in the past, I've worked on uh, dirt, like uh, dirt late model, dirt sprints, um, asphalt late models, you know. <laughs> any of that kind of stuff yeah so have like you track have you always been a fan of racing like race car driver drag racing that kind of stuff uh, <laughs> i'm i'm a horsepower junkie not really uh into the i'm not a fan but i like to build horsepower okay so you don't necessarily watch it on tv you just like to wrench no right I got gotcha. you. Okay. How long have you been doing that? Uh, well, I went to college for it, you know, graduated from there in 02 and then got a job right out of college in 02 and been doing it ever since. Okay. So East Central Indiana, right? You're right along the border there from, of Ohio. Now, my question to you mm -hmm. is, you know, Ohio's a decent state uh, to find some good whitetails. What's Indiana like, specifically your area? Um, my area is kind of weird. Um, I think Indiana doesn't really get the credit that, you know, it's like you've got Illinois and you got Ohio and now Kentucky's coming up. It's like, you know, Indiana's right in the middle there. Yeah. You know, we've got some pretty big deer coming out of here. Yeah. And every year I hear something a little bit better and a little bit better about Indiana. And I think what we all are starting to learn is that big deer can come from anywhere. It doesn't really matter what yeah. state. You know, there are states that there's more big deer come out of, let's say, like Iowa and Illinois. Right. Right. But there's, right. there's pockets of other places in in the country that uh, can produce some hammers every year. Yeah, we've got what one thing that's really helped us out is they've they've taken us to uh, the one buck rule where we can only shoot one buck for the year, and that's throughout the entire year with any equipment. You get one buck tag. Okay, so you get one buck tag. And you can use it with your bow, or you can use it with your firearm. Yep, uh, bow, um, muzzleloader, or, or uh, firearms license. So you know, one one buck, that's all you get. So it better be a good one. Yeah, and that's that's uh, not bad. I think that's what Kansas does as well. I think they have yeah. a uh, a one one buck state as well. When did they when did they move to that? Or has that been something that they've always done? 
Uh, it's been a while. It's probably been about, I'm thinking maybe six or seven, maybe eight years now. Okay. All right. So let's see here. What is the terrain like in Eastern Indiana? Cause whenever I drive, uh, to Indianapolis on the west side of the state, there's some there's some time that I'm driving through there where it's just flat as a board. Yeah, it's not it, it where I'm at. It's it's a little rolly. Um, you've got some terrain features that you know if you're just looking out across, you wouldn't notice. But if you watch a group of deer run across the field they'll disappear behind something and you'll be like, where'd they go? Got you. You know? So is there a so lot, there's like, some little, what's the breakdown? Is it a lot of ag? Is it a lot of timber? Is it, is it an even mix? Is it river bottoms? Is it hills? So what we've got is, um, like mile squares. Okay. Okay. And pretty much it's all ag except for a little section nor the, you know, right near the center of that mile square. So there'd be like a little bit of woods, you know, sporadic, you know, 80 acres is a large patch of timber for around here. So there'd be like little um, brushed ditches connecting these, you know, 40, 50, 60 acre patches of woods. And then every once in a while, uh, fence row here and there but those are disappearing slowly but surely okay so it sounds to me like it's just sections of ground mostly ag with you know a sprinkling of timber here and there within every section okay are there a lot of uh creek systems or river systems that run through the area or is it for the most part straight ag um there's there's ditch lines so they're mostly drainages for the the ag you know, but sometimes they get brushed up pretty good, and those hold a lot of deer. And there's a few rivers here in the area, and those those sections there. Um, so we've got like that, that area near the the upper Wabash, where the Wabash River is really small, like a creek, and gotcha. a lot of the land around that's very marshy. But I don't generally hunt too much of that just because it's all tied up. You can't get a spot to hunt around there. Okay. So what are some of the farms that you hunt? Like, describe Is that the same description where, where you hunt? I mean, is it mostly ag? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. With all just right. little, little patches of timber and right. some fence rows and such. So what is your strategy then? Because it seems to me like all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of cover with, let's just say, corn or beans, and then all of a sudden it's gone, right? Yep. So what are the deer doing? Obviously they, they have a whole bunch of cover while the crops are in, but when the crops go away, what are the deer doing? Uh, they're bedding like right in the edge of the timber. So they can watch out across those fields, the, the open, empty fields. Okay. So, like, if the wind's out of the west, it seems they're going to be bedded on the east side of that little patch of timber so that they can catch that wind coming through the woods 
and still see off to the east, you know, to their downwind. Yeah. So it's it's tough to get in on them good. Yeah. So do the deer in your area use the same bed every day, or is it like because it no, sounds to it's me random. Every, it's random? Yeah. Okay. It's uh, random. Right. It just depends on the wind direction. Now you get used to hunting a certain farm, you know where the hot spots are at, but it's like you can see a deer in one spot today and then set there in the morning and they're going to come out in a totally different spot. All right. So and it, unless it, you've got a real narrow, like a nice window, a funnel, you know? Yeah. But if it's just a block of timber, it sounds to me like they may they may stay in that block of timber, but depending on the wind direction, will tell you what side that they're betting on. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And then, so like, what's really weird is the deer around here will not stay in an open area for very long. Like they get out into the field, and their heads are up and they're running so they don't slow down once they hit the open area right so whenever they're they're out it's either dark or they're they're booking to get to the next uh i guess yep. the next cover wherever the, the cover's yep. at all right pretty so, much so is there a lot of pressure in your area because deer that do that are afraid of something right so we've got a lot of coyotes and a lot of hunters all right. And there's not a hunter in every block of timber, but it's it's pretty high, you know. There's there's a lot of hunters. Yeah. What's the average farm as far as acreage is concerned? Uh well, okay, so that's around here a lot of people do like cash renting, so somebody may own a hundred acres and you know 70 or 80 of it's tillable and they'll have like their little patch of woods with their little pond in it for swimming and stuff you know and then the rest that's tillable will they'll cash rent that out and then there's a couple you know pretty big operations around here that's you're looking at 1200 acres but they're just you know turning dirt and plowing over every woods that they see okay so is it easy in your area to get permission to hunt on private and then if not how how much or how much public is available uh getting permission on private around here is pretty tough because like i said everybody like the woods are very limited Mm -hmm. and then so like oh they'll be like no my nephew's already hunting that so you know it's already tied up yeah yeah. So and then there's there's uh virtually no public nearby. There in in my county, well, there's zero in my county. Um the next county south of me has about 300 acres of public. And that's it. Which is totally covered up during hunting season. Yeah. Do you ever work your way into Ohio? Uh no. Um there, I mean, I'm literally right on the state line here. Yeah. And from 
that this section of Ohio doesn't seem like it has a lot of good deer and a lot of good deer numbers. It seems pretty slim for Ohio. Right. And that's because of the agriculture uh, has in less, very small amount of cover in that area. Right. Right. Yep. It's the same thing with up where my, where I was actually raised in, I guess, more of a central Iowa and it's all ag all over the place. And and if there is a cattle operator, or if there is a, a wooded area, it's mostly uh, cattle pasture within that. So if you see a deer in in that part of Iowa, that's a good thing, but they're not running all over the place like they are in, you know, the Southern parts of the state where there's just a ton right. of deer all over the place. So, and I think our deer numbers are down compared to where they were, you know, five years ago. They're, we're pretty liberal on the, uh, the doe permits. So a lot of guys take advantage of that. Yeah. And when you say liberal, I mean, Iowa has quotas out and a lot of counties don't fill their quota every year. So a guy could, could, if you wanted to, one of the counties that I hunt, I could go back until I got tired of killing does. I could go back right. and back and back and probably shoot, you know, 25 deer if I wanted to. See, we got, uh, our does are, uh, regulated by the county. So like in, in my county, I can get one doe with a bow and then one doe with a, well, how I do it is I buy the deer bundle, which you get three licenses. You get a buck and two does, and that's what I get for the year, you know. So, and you get a little bit of a deal on it, whatever. Yeah. But if you want to buy a bunch of bonus antlerless tags, you can buy those, like, three of them for this county and go to another county and get, you know, three of them for that county and then go to another county and get two more for that county or whatever their quota is. Yeah. And you can do that throughout all 92 counties if you've got the time and money. Yeah. Yeah. What about the uh, the rifle season? When Do you guys have a rifle season or is it just shotgun? Yeah, it used to just be shotgun, but they just recently opened it up to uh, rifles, uh, you know, up to, uh, there's some stipulations there. Straight Basically, wall it's cartridge? A 243. Uh, no, no, you can shoot uh, 243 on up to uh, like a 30-06 or there's a max case length. I don't remember what it is. All right. So when does that, when does that firearm season kick off? Uh, it's usually uh, around, you know, the middle of November. Okay. Okay. 13th to 15th, somewhere in that neighborhood. Right. Okay. Right, right there. So what, what is your annual your kind of annual strategy. How do you approach the deer season from everything you've told us about the terrain, the lack of cover, you know, the low deer numbers, how do you approach your deer season every year? Um, well, I usually like to get some cameras out and going. Um, I've tried some food plot stuff in the past, but I don't, you know, I don't have the, just a good spot for it you know there's so there's food everywhere so putting something out that's gonna draw them or keep them there's kind of tough to do i think yeah. around here um so i like to do the 
check our cameras and try to take some inventory, but usually once the crops come off, it's anybody's game at that point. Um, and then I start in, you know, October 1st, you know, getting into the timber and hunting with my bow and trying to start filling some tags. Yeah. And then as, as the year progresses, then it's on to gun season. And then after that is uh muzzleloader season and, um, December. And then if I still have tags after muzzleloader season, then I hunt the late archery season. Yeah. Is that a new tag or can you use your, your other tags for that late archery season? I can use the, the deer bundle tag okay. for that. Yeah. All right. If, I mean, if I still have tags left at that point. Okay. So are you excited for this upcoming year, man? Have you got any uh, returning customers that uh, you, you hope made it through the season that uh, you think are back? Or what's uh, what's the story for 2020? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've got – I had some pretty good pictures last year, uh, but I haven't seen anything yet so far this year. Um, a couple of them was on a neighboring property that, uh, I can't, I don't have access to anymore. So, um, you know, I'm just kind of waiting to see if they, they cruise through or whatever. And then, um, one of the other good deer I had on the camera was, I think it was kind of a random cruise cruise by it was like october 26th at like four in the morning so just a, a couple was... pictures of him or did he come back and forth through that area no nope, just just one yeah just one and he was big i was surprised okay so you kind of you kind of mentioned you didn't have access to the farm and that's i think this is a good place to transition because um I want to I want to talk a little bit about the connection between hunting and your dad real quick, uh, because this oh, is yeah. this is ultimately where the story was going, and this <clears throat> this is the story that you kind of reached out to me with. But um, I just kind of want to start at the beginning. How old were you when your dad started to get you involved in hunting? Oh man, um, so. Dad was taking me out to uh, deer camp, you know, when I was like a toddler, you know, like a year old or so, you know, so I was always around, you know, the camp and it's just always been a way of life. Yeah. What did, ever since I was born. What did deer camp consist of back then? Oh, okay. So that would have been in the early 80s. Um, there was, uh, guys that my dad worked with and, uh, some other neighbors and stuff. And, uh, there was a, an older, older guy that lived out in the, out in the country, you know, by himself. And he had a little, little farm place out there. And that's just kind of where everybody, you know, congregated and went once hunting season started and everybody just kind of rolled in there and 
they got a game plan together, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, what about what was going on at camp? I mean, did you guys, I mean, cause you're a toddler going to camp. Did your dad take you hunting at that time or did he just like chill with you at camp and, you know, kind of mess around doing toddler things? Well, um, so my, my folks were, uh, separated when I was real little. So if dad wanted to go hunting, you know, he had to take me with him, you know, <laughs> love it. There wasn't really many options at that point. Right. Right. So he, you were just kind of in his back pocket the entire time. Oh yeah. Unless, oh yeah. Unless you were there. your mom's. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So, so it, it sounds like you have just kind of been a sidekick the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, when right. did you, when did your dad st- really start getting into teaching you about? Because you know, for me, I have a five year old boy, and right. I take him out and I try to teach him, but he's so inner he his attention span is so short that it's very hard for him to really understand what I'm saying at this point, right? Mm-hmm. I have to slow down mm-hmm. and, and just be at his level. And that typically means that we're not really hunting. We're just kind of kicking around dirt and rocks and, and looking at bugs and tracks and, and that kind of stuff. Did your, did your dad do that with you or did he do something else? Well, you know, uh, at first I would carry my little, you know, pop gun, you know, whatever I had, you know, actually one of the old guys at the camp, uh, made me a little wooden shotgun when I was, you know, for a little kid, you know, he built that little gun for me out of a two by four or something, you know, and I carried that thing around with me every hunting season up until I was about five, you know, and then I had, uh, started carrying my BB gun. Yeah. So it's just always kind of there, you know, bringing your gun, making you feel involved, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. 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 What are some of the best memories as a kid that you had with your dad when it was, uh, you know, time to be outside and do some hunting? Um, Just sitting there with him because, you know, my dad is old school, so he never had a tree stand or anything. We'd just go find a spot to sit. And, uh, one time we were uh, hunting this spot near a swamp that's, it's pretty, pretty good area. And, uh, we were setting up on this little hill and, you know, the sun came up and the frost was so thick. It was like a snow, you know, I just remember that sitting there watching over that swamp when the sun came up and that frost being so thick and we watched all those deer it was a bunch of does that walked by us which at, back in those days you couldn't shoot does that was a pretty good time okay so was your dad with you when you shot your first uh, deer uh he was just uh, around the corner of the woods from me okay i was sitting on one corner of the woods and he was sitting on the other corner all right how old were you when that happened mm-hmm about 12 12 okay that seems about the right age for uh 
you know, people who come from a, a family, you know, that, that 12, 13, 14 age range yeah. did, um, yeah. what was, what was your reaction, uh, to your first harvest and what was your dad's reaction to your, your first deer kill? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> we were pretty pumped up, you know, high fives and hugs and, you know, it was, it was pretty big. Yeah. Walk us, walk us through that hunt. What, can you remember how it all went down? Oh yeah. So, I mean, it was just your basic evening sit, you know, along the field edge, you know, just kind of tucked back into the corner of the trees a little bit. And I was sporting a H and R 20 gauge single shot, you know, with a, with a great old bead sight. And a group of does come cruising out right at dark. And, you know, I dropped the hammer on one of them, and we were eating good then. <laughs> did uh, did your dad hear the, the, the noise and, and come running to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah? No, 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 no. We would uh, stay put. It was always stay put until dark. And then uh, then once it got dark because you know he had to come walking past me and, got, and yeah. get me and then we would go to the truck then so he'd come walking towards me and come up there and see what was going on right right um when when did you start getting into bow hunting then <clears throat> when i was about 14 okay i started bow hunting and did your dad start bow hunting at that point too because from what you know from what you've told us so far it sounded like he was just kind of a gun hunter yep gun hunter um he actually bow hunted some back in the you know back in the 70s but it wasn't i i don't know i think he may have had a i i from what he's told me uh he shot one with a bow back in the old days and couldn't find it and he didn't like that so he he put his bow away and never got it back out you know yeah yeah so was he there to kind of help you get started with archery or was it kind of you on your own at that point i was it was pretty much just me on the archery game okay so i would hunt every year you know through october you know, pretty much by myself. And then, uh, once gun season opened up, then it was me and him. All right. So did you guys continue? I mean, both season, as you got older, you were kind of on your own gun season. Did you guys do a traditional deer camp every single year then as you got older and just decide like, spent time with your dad i mean as you started running trail cameras which it sounds like you do did you involve him with all that as well oh yeah so uh he'd put out trail camera you know i would i would put out trail cameras and then he would put out his own trail cameras and i think he was getting pictures that he wasn't telling me about (laughs) (laughs) old dad i i would uh say something about seeing a deer and he'd be like oh yeah 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 and then he, he wouldn't say nothing and later on i'd say something about seeing that deer again and he was like 
Well, yeah, I wondered. I had some pictures of him. <laughs> what a shyster. He never would tell know, his I own think, son. <laughs> I think he was holding out on me a little bit, but <laughs> He didn't want you. He didn't want you to get too big for your britches because if, if you would have shot as a, right. as a kid, if you would have shot a big giant buck right off the bat, it would have ruined you. So he yeah. probably was just trying to to save you at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but when it came down to the gun season, was was there like a, a family tradition? Oh yeah, the, I mean obviously, opening you know, morning, you know, that Saturday morning. Um, so we always went together and we hunted the same farm, you know, it was right across the road from my grandparents' house. Yeah. And it was a 360 acre farm with a couple of good woods and some ditch lines and fence rows. And I mean, it was pretty nice. And we, you know, had a lot of luck there over the years and it was right across the road from my grandparents house so it was you know real easy for us to to hunt that and have our camp and all that yeah so this whole tradition continued for a while and, and you guys have uh, been kind of hunting pals off and on walk oh, us yeah. walk us what th- what happened walk us through what happened in uh, 2018 well, um, 2018, um, in September, uh, me and a couple of buddies had went to Wyoming for a antelope hunt and we'd done pretty well and, uh, we come back and then, and that was in late September. So our archery season in here in Indiana opened up October 1st and I hunted uh, the first weekend and got a line on a pretty good deer and then on the the 14th of October I was able to uh, slide in and harvest this pretty good buck and okay. So it was an evening sit, and I harvested that deer, and I called Dad right away. And it's clear back in the middle of this section. It's, you know, half a mile through timber and then another ways through a cornfield. So we're, uh, Dad, you know, I called Dad. He comes out, and he brings the four-wheeler. And, uh, cause it's just going to be too tough with a car by myself and yeah. whatever. So, um, we're with the four wheeler, we get the four wheeler back in there, but we still have to drag the deer from the, yeah, from the center of this cornfield to the side of the cornfield where we can get it with the four wheeler. And, uh, we're dragging the deer and, you know, I'm, you know, pulling along and he's like struggling and he's like, you know, Hey buddy, I'm going to have to take a break. And I'm like, 
all right, you know. And, and he just kind of looked at me like, whew, something's weird, you know. And I'm like, are you all right? And, you know, I'm jacked up because I just shot this deer. Yeah. And I was, I was jacked up because I was like, it was early in the season and I just, you know, grilled this deer. And he's kind of looking at me like, man, something's not right. So we kind of sit there and chill out for a little bit. We get the deer on out to the to the four wheeler and you know get it up to the truck and everything and we go home and then uh, about two weeks later we're uh, at my son's birthday party on November sixth. And, um, you know, he's there and he's hanging out. He's like, man, buddy, I just don't feel so good right now. You know, like, ever since we dragged that deer, I'm like, what do you mean you don't feel good? He's like, I don't know. I just don't feel right. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you go to the doctor and have looked at her. He's like, I don't know. He's like, it's not. I'm like, is it your heart or whatever? And he's like, no, 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 I don't think that's it just something weird so later that night like 11 o'clock at night like I get a phone call and it's his phone and I answer and it was his neighbor lady was like hey the ambulance just picked your dad up and took him to the hospital you know like you think he had a stroke or something and I'm like what? So I, you know, rushed to the hospital and they were in process of rushing him to uh, another hospital in Indianapolis. And uh, so I went down there. Long story short, he had had a ruptured brain aneurysm. Oh, boy. And uh, 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 an aneurysm. Is like if you've got a, a weak spot in a blood vessel and it'll like bubble out. Well, when that bubble blows, that's when it's a rupture of aneurysm. And it was in his in his brain. Okay. And uh, it was a pretty bad deal. Yeah. And I mean, to say the least. Yeah. Most people that have that don't survive yeah but uh he had an amazing team of doctors that uh you know worked on him for quite a while and he was in, in uh icu for um like two months you know he had a lot of issues and so Long story short, he's he did he he made it. You know, is a miracle. He made it. He was in the hospital for a year, um, and then after leaving the hospital, um, he ended up going. He he came to our house to stay for a while, but he had some 
some quite quite a bit of issues and stuff, things that we couldn't manage at home. So um, he ended up going to the uh, to the nursing home. We've got him a place here, fairly close to the house that we can go see him, take the take the kids and go see him. And but you know, life isn't the same for him anymore. Yeah. So he he's in an, he's in a nursing home right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that happened in 2018, kind of in the middle of the hunting season. Right. Right. It it happened on November 5th. November 5th. Okay. All right. So he's in the hospital for over a year. What was that first hunting season like without him? Did did your drive or passion kind of go away because your dad wasn't there, or did you continue oh, to go out and hunt? I'll tell you what, it was so. Um, when our gun opener, so I was sitting by his bedside in the ICU unit, you know, every single day, and for like, you know, a couple weeks. And finally, you know, that Saturday gun opener was coming up and I was sitting there on a, at the hospital on a Friday and my wife was like, she's like, you going to go hunting this weekend? And I'm like, I mean, how, how can I, you know, I was like, how, how can I go when he's sitting here like this? And she said, well, you do whatever, you know, she's like, I know that you're in a really weird place right now. Like I was, I was a mess, you know, cause it was, he could have, you know, died at any moment, yeah. you know, and I just didn't want to walk away. So, you know, I was sitting there at the hospital on Saturday morning with him cause I hadn't missed that Saturday with him, you know, my whole life, basically. So I sat there with him on Saturday morning, and then uh, that afternoon, I went and got my, I came home and and picked up my daughter, and uh, she's uh, seven at the time, and which I've taken her hunting before, but uh, I took her out that evening and just sat and, you know, kind of, I just wanted to, it's like, well, I'm going to have to keep this rolling, you know? So I just grabbed her up and took her straight to the woods that opening day. And was there, so your daughter was with you, but mm-hmm. your dad wasn't, all right? So... What was kind right. of going? What was kind of going through your head? Because I've I've talked with a couple guys, especially on this podcast, where something's happened to their dad or their brother or a family member, and they didn't they didn't necessarily make it. Okay, your dad, right? He's not the same as he was, and it and right. it doesn't sound like he's going to be able to get out and do much ever again. So as right. you're as you're sitting in this tree stand what kind of emotions were running through your head as to as far as your dad and having maybe having your daughter there and and not only thinking about your dad but thinking about your life as a dad 
Right, right. Well, that was kind of the moment when I realized, you know, that it was going to be, it was now my turn to be the the dad to teach my kids how to hunt. Yeah. Like, I, and I hadn't even thought of that. Like, I had been taking my daughter out hunting, you know, here and there. But I was still hunting with my dad, you know, and I never really made that thought process of like, hey, one of these days, I'm not going to be able to hunt with him anymore. And it's totally going to be on me. Yeah. Like I just hadn't made that connection. As far as passing it on to the next generation. Right. I had always kind of figured that me and my kids would be able to go hunting with Papal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your dad right now, because can can you communicate with him at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. He He's in a nursing home, but what what level is he, is he at? Well, okay, so for the first year after it happened, uh, he was a not not in a communicative state. So, like, he was unconscious for, like, six months. But now, I know, he's got very limited mobility. Um, he's just got uh, a lot of, you know, different multiple issues at this point okay so but he can he speak to you yeah okay so you can actually communicate uh with him now um what, what are those conversations like about hunting now with him it, does he still get excited for you uh is it is it yeah. obviously he can't hunt with you but is it the same as far as a conversation is concerned yeah yeah um sometimes you know, I don't know if he quite quite understands. You know, like what I'm when I'm explaining something. Uh, he, sometimes he doesn't quite get it. Yeah. You know. Okay. It's just difficult. Yeah, I gotcha. So, while your dad is in the hospital, and you think everything's kind of okay with the property that you hunt and all of a sudden it's not what, <laughs> what happened to a piece of property that you had been hunting for several years? Uh, what, ha what happened there? Tell us th that story. Okay. So, uh, this, this property, like I said, it was across the road from my grandparents' house and you knew and, the landowners. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, my my grain. Okay, and this is kind of. This, let this be a lesson to everybody out there. Uh, stay tight with your landowners. I mean, don't let don't let any distance come between you two. Because, I mean, they got to be as tight as family. And I mean that because if one little thing happens you can lose that spot in an instant yeah um so 
my grandparents were uh, really good friends with the landowners. Okay. But they had they had moved away. Um, they were living somewhere else. Um, and then my grandparents actually had passed away. And so this farm was under, uh, uh, there was a land manager that lived fairly close by that was managing this property, you know, taking care of the, you know, running the, the, the farming aspect of it. He wasn't actually farming it. Um, there's another family nearby that was farming it, but you know, this is the person that paid the taxes and took in the income, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, we also cut firewood out there and, and we had to, you know, so my dad, he, he was the one that was always in, uh, constant contact with the land manager. He, you know, he just, since my grandparents knew the landowners, my dad just kind of always took care of that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm old enough, you know, that I should have known better than to just let dad take care of it. You know, I should have been helping take care of that myself too. Yeah. But he just always been in contact with them and took care of that. So, uh, <clears throat> what had happened is dad got sick and, you know, we spent that whole winter and spring sitting with dad in the hospital. And then that coming summer, I was, you know, I was really struggling if I was going to go back out there and hunt or what I was going to do. So... Um, I thought, you know, I'm just going to go out and throw up a couple of trail cameras in the, you know, and it was the summertime. I had put up a couple of cameras and didn't really think about, uh, I was, I was going to call and talk to the land manager and just, uh, let him know what was going on, that dad probably wasn't going to be out there that year and whatever, you know. So, uh, I had my cameras up and about September, I, I hadn't been checking them or nothing. I just had them up, <clears throat> letting them soak. And I go out there about the middle of September and pull cards and there's behind one on the tree behind my trail camera is a big fresh no trespassing sign and I was like what you know I've been hunting this property my whole life you know I'm 39 years old now but I was you know 36 at the time I guess or so um, so I was like what is going on here and I called the land manager and talked to him and as I was talking to him, I, you know, I, I said, you know, my dad got sick. And he's like, yeah, I heard that. And I said, you did? 
well, how'd you hear about that? Because this guy, he lives like in the next county over. Yeah. And I, I said, how'd you hear about that? And he said, oh, one, one of the neighbors that lives across the road there called and told me about that. And I said, they, they did. And he's like, yeah. And he, he told me who it was. And I was like, okay. And I said, so, you know, just double checked and make sure, you know, I was like, make sure we're good to hunt out here again this year. And I said, even though dad's not going to be around. And he was like, no, no, I already gave those guys permission to hunt there. And I was like, okay. So the neighbors knew that my dad got sick and slid in and, you know, got permission knowing that he wasn't going to be able to hunt out there anymore and Hmm. That's too that bad. A, Did you talk to the yeah, landowner at all and just say like, "Hey, I, you know, we, I've been I've been coming out here, and, and under the circumstances, you know, I've been coming out here as well. I, I understand my dad isn't going to be able to come out here, but what about me?" Right. <clears throat> yeah. He he said that uh, he didn't want to step on those guys' toes. And uh, since he had already given them permission to be there, then he didn't want to give anybody else permission. Hmm. Man, that just straight up sucks. I don't know what to tell yeah. you, man. I don't even know if I have a follow-up question for that. I mean, <laughs> if if the guy, if the people who knew your dad was sick and maybe nobody was going to be hunting the farm, then... right. I can understand if that, if the land manager gave them uh, permission, but when you are going to be hunting it, I can see maybe him giving permission to those people and to you, but yeah, it just seems, it just, it just sucks that you're out just like that, given the circumstance of, of, you know, the story. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So, I, I called the guy, the, the neighbor that got the, the fresh permission. I called and talked to him, and I said, you know, this is a big farm. And, and I think, you know, okay, I, I'm a, I hunt pretty hard, so packing in, you know, to the middle of a section, walking through, you know, 800 yards of cornfield, is part of the normal for me, you know? Yeah. But if they're just going to ride a, you know, four-wheeler to the back of the front woods and sit there for an hour or two and ride back up to the house, and they're, you know, they're going to do that once or twice a year. You know, I, I, I tried to feel him out a little bit, and I was like, you know, that backwoods is pretty far back there. Maybe I could at least, you know, get in on that. You guys aren't going to be back there. Nah, nah, nah. There's just not enough room. 
So not only did these people kind of use your misfortune as an entry into this farm, once you reached out to them to kind of explain yourself, they all they also said, no, we can't, you know, we don't want to let you in. Yeah. What what kind of access did you have to any other farms in the area? Zero. Zero. Huh. I had 360 acres, you yeah. know, prime, just to me and dad and my family. Yeah. And then someone someone came in and got it uh, yeah. while you had your back turned for a little bit. Okay. Well, yeah. that's just kind of a shame because – if I was in that other guy's shoes and I heard about your scenario, I would I would feel like an a piece of shit if I didn't invite you at least to come along. Be, you right. know, it's like here's the story, right? But instead this right. person and you know, I'm not hearing that guy's story, I'm only hearing your story. Right. That guy could have it's just going to be one other person and he came in right. and, and just got it and you've been there for 40 some years you know right at you know your dad and and you have been hunting there right. for a very long time and how you instantly got removed from that property and they didn't even they didn't even listen to your scenario kind of shocks me and it, yeah. it really kind of pisses me off because you hear stories about this all the time of how someone gets pushed off a, a piece of ground or, right. or, you know, one person decides to come in on a lease and then that person says, well, I'm going to be doing something on this lease. And then the guy who had the a lease originally gets kicked off because now the guy, the new guy and, and the landowner are in cahoots and you, you hear stories like that. And it just, I guess the first term that comes to mind is it breaks my heart to know that hunting is more important than people, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I don't know, man, uh, there, you know, there's, there's times to say yes and there's times to say no. And I just feel like this is a time for people to say yes. Right. You know what I mean? So, man, yeah. that, that really sucks. So so after you learned about this and you, you, you talked with all parties involved and you got no, you know, got the no from all parties involved, what happened then? Did, did, was it now time to go search out new hunting property? Did you knock on doors or, or did you just kind of? Um, I, okay, because uh, I had basically hunted this property for so long. I knew the, you know, the surrounding landowners and I knew which landowners were a strict no and which landowners I could call up and, um, called up one of them and he was gracious enough to let me in and, it was literally on the other side of the fence. It was just right across the fence from where, like, one of my sweet spots is always at. Yeah. Yeah. So it sucked that you lost that farm, 
But I guess the silver lining to this whole thing is is that you were able to find another piece of property to hunt that's really close to the property that you just lost. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a lot smaller property. It's like a total of about 80 acres. Yeah. Are you having to share that piece of property with anybody else? No, no, not not last year, and I'm, I'm I'm not sure yet about this year if anybody else is planning on hunting there. But uh, he said that his son-in-law may hunt later in the year, but I was out there. Now, it's not. It wasn't easy. Yeah. It wasn't an easy season. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I hunted every day from October 1st. Um, I got a, a small doe um, during firearm season, and that was it until December 27th. I was finally able to close the deal on a buck. So you put a lot of time into the 2019 season. Yeah, yeah, I put every weekend, um, several weekdays, you know, lots and lots of time just to harvest those two deer off of that property because it was a whole new piece. Well, you know, I was familiar with where the deer entered the property and you know i was familiar with how they crossed the fields and things but it, that property doesn't have the bedding cover that the old property had okay it's more of a pass-through property yeah yeah so what did you learn from this whole thing i mean was there anything positive that you could take away from this whole scenario, whether it was your dad or uh, losing the hunting ground or anything like that? Everything. I'm, okay, so um, for one, you, you've got to, you know, appreciate every moment that you've got with your hunting, your hunting crew, you know? like I didn't realize it, but getting that buck out of the woods that night was probably the last thing that me and my dad will do in a hunting type scenario. I didn't realize it at the time, you know? Yeah. So you never know when that's going to happen. When, when it's going to be your last hunting trip. Yeah. Yeah. And so every time you go out with your kids or your best buddy, or your cousin that you always go with, you know, you just got to appreciate that. Yeah. I feel you, man. I feel you. It's very, yeah. That's, I mean, live every day, just live every day, yeah. you know, like, and, and appreciate all the things in your life, like family and time. Right. right? And, you know, yeah. one thing in, in your story that I didn't hear was, was possessions. I didn't hear uh, about money. I didn't hear, you know, those things in life, in, in any good story, you know, no one, when, when you're on your deathbed, you or I or whoever, it's like, 
no one's really going to talk. You know, you're not, you and me aren't going to talk about the money or the possessions. We're going to talk about the experiences and the memories. And, uh, I think, you know, that's something very important to take away from, uh, from a story like this, man. Yeah. You know, and it makes me, you know, I look back and think about when I was, you know, like in my teenage years and early twenties and we'd go hunting and dad would want to do it his way and I would want to do it my way. You know, I was starting to, you know, get my own thoughts about me and the way I wanted to hunt. Yeah. And how we'd kind of butt heads and all that. It's like, boy, that, that's pretty, that, that's, that's petty stuff, you know? When you're just hanging out having fun, you shouldn't be fighting over dumb shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fact, man. That is a fact. Well, um, man, I, I just, I'm sending you good vibes. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to send you good vibes. I'm going to uh, send for even more recovery uh, to your dad, and, and hopefully that you and your daughter uh, continue the the bond as a, a hunting you know, father and daughter duo and, and all that stuff, man. So, uh, good luck this up yeah. upcoming fall. And, uh, yeah. thank you very much I'm, for taking, I'm going to try and get my son out there this year too. He's, he's five now. So oh, nice. We're going to, we're going to try and get him involved. Nice. So I'm going to have, uh, my, my, my double bowl is going to be full. Full. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Hey man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, yep, no problem, Dan. And that brings us to the end, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for supporting the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation, man. I, Without you, this isn't possible. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. On our, and for those of you who listen on a regular basis, thank you even more. Um, man, happy. I'm happy today. Uh, what else do I got to say? Uh, we got to thank the partners, right? Partners of, uh, the nine finger Chronicles podcast, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, the average conservationist and our title sponsor, Vortex Optics, man, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Number one, they all make kick-ass gear. And number two, they are participants in the Uh, arena that they sell their products in and uh, I'm happy with all of the uh, support that I get from them and the product that I get from them right I mean they make some really kick-ass gear and all of them have I've used all I've used all of them before I had the podcast so that's cool Uh, other than that I think we're good I'm just gonna call it a day please be kind to one another Put positive energy out into the world. You will get it back. I love you all. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next time.